2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, a, a lengthier portion of scripture that I typically read, but Samuel, Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Now, David said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? Everybody say kindness. For Jonathan's sake, and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. Yes, here I am. And king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness? Everybody say kindness. The kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, there is a son of Jonathan who's lame. Look at your neighbor and say, are you the lame one? He said, there's this one guy, but he's lame in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Mechar, the son of Emil in Lodabar. Lodabar. Lodabar means a, a cut off place. He's in, a, he's in a disconnected state. He's in a disconnected place. Now, the Bible says, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul had come to David. He fell on his face, prostrated himself, and David said, Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. I heard you. <laughs> it's hard enough to say that one time accurately. It's really hard to say it three times. I don't recommend you having to try. David looked at him and he said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. I want to preach to you for the next few minutes in this last uh, message of our Now What series. I want to preach to you about the topic of from orphans to heirs, from orphans to heirs. Every one of us here today have the opportunity to be adopted into his kingdom and to be heirs and joint heirs with him. If you're thankful for that, would you just give him praise one more time before you're seated? Jesus, thank you for your presence, your power that's in this place. Release it to do your perfect work. God, that you would have your will and your way accomplished here today. We love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. You can be seated in Jesus' name. Every single human being here today, every human being watching online or maybe even listening to this podcast later, there is not a human being that has ever existed that does not have the need to belong. Every one of us want to fit in somewhere. Every one of us want to belong to something, some where every one of us, we have a desire for connection and community. And, and, and you may say to yourself, well, I really don't, I don't need anybody. <laughs> and I would say to that, you're, uh, you, you might be uh, trying to cope with some hurt and some trouble and struggle, but, but uh, you are deceived <laughs> because every one of us needs somebody at some time. 
And the reality is many of us need somebody more often than we realize we need somebody. It's important for our, just our natural health, our physical health. Forget the spiritual side of things. Just doctors, psychologists, counselors would tell you that we need one another. We need community. But, but in the spiritual aspect, we need one another. We need the family of God. It's not just important for our physical and, and, and mental and emotional health, but for our spiritual health, uh, we need one another. We need the body of Christ. And I would say it's even more critical to our spiritual health uh, than our emotional health uh, that we are connected, that we belong to something somewhere with some one, we need one another. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. We understand naturally in our world there is a problem. There is a, a, an epidemic with, with children that need somebody, that do not have anybody. For years, we've called these children orphans. There was a brief time in my wife's existence where she was uh, she had no biological family, and my wife, as some of you know her story, she was uh, the first part of her life, the first little bit of her life, was raised in a foster home. And thank God for a godly family that made the decision. You know, uh, there, when you have a kid naturally, thank God for it, that's great, but you don't get to choose what comes out naturally. But thank God for every man and woman of God that has ever made the choice to adopt a child that nobody wanted because that's a matter of decision. That's a matter of choice. I thank God for even some of the history of this church. I see Sister Bogus here today and, and others that have, that have made an impact in, in numerous lives in the kingdom of God and in the world by, by making the decision to take a child into their home that the world has discarded or family has discarded. The definition of an orphan is one that is deprived, uh, maybe by the death of a parent or by the actions or activity of a parent, but one who is adopted is one who has been legally made a son or a daughter by someone other than their biological parent. I thank God, and, and some of you have been touched by stories of adoption, and some of you have been raised by families that were not your biological uh, birth family. I thank God for the influence in the time of my life uh, that I was also raised by a family that was not my biological family. And so I thank God for every testimony and story of adoption. And let me just pause here before I get into our text and say, the Bible says that Children are the inheritance of the Lord. Not just biologically birthed children, but children are the inheritance of the Lord. So when you see babies running around with nobody to care for them and you see children uh, that have nobody to mentor them and help them and train them and nurture them, you are seeing thousand dollar bills just wandering around that nobody has taken the time to pick up and to care for. We'd never let a thousand dollar bill just blow down the street. I don't know about you, but I would stop. Come on, I know some of y'all are cheaper than me. You'll stop to pick up a penny. 
We wouldn't let a $100 bill or a $1,000 bill blow around uncared for. But let me tell you, the same is true with our children. As a church, we've got to be diligent making sure that our children are nurtured in righteousness and truth and the fear of God. And it's not just, I thank God for biological parents, but it's not just up to the biological parents, but you and I can come alongside and can supplement and augment and help and assist with what God has called us all to do. There's this incredible, powerful story of adoption in the Old Testament. And in this story, to understand the story of Mephibosheth, you really have to back up and understand the story of the kings as they unfolded in Israel. And very quickly, if I can just summarize this for you, the first king of Israel was a king by the name of Saul. Now, Saul was not what God wanted. But how many know when you push hard enough for something that you want yourself Sometimes God will just step away and let you get what you want. But sometimes it's a dangerous place to get what you want when it's not what God knows you need. And so Saul was what Israel demanded. Saul was the one that seemed like he had it all together. Saul was the one that everybody else would have chosen. Saul was the one that seemed to have all the necessary ingredients. But Saul had a problem. Saul had this little me monster inside of him that he thought he was really something. And he thought he was really something unique. And he thought he was really something special. And while someone maybe like King David would would have been serving in silence and somebody like King David uh, would have been honoring and preferring others and would have been worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Saul made things all about him. Saul was bound by pride in his position and so what happened was God ripped the kingdom out of the hands of Saul because God will never let us operate, operate indefinitely in our flesh. The kingdom cannot operate in our flesh. The kingdom cannot operate in our own human reasoning, but God removed his presence from Saul. It's a powerful story, maybe for another time, but, but God didn't argue with Saul. God didn't pester Saul. God didn't give Saul 17 strikes and you're out when Saul proved his pride time. And again, one too many times, God just removed his presence from Saul without a word. And Saul keeps trying to do what he's always done, but now he's spiritually naked without the presence of God. Hear me, it's a dangerous place to be uh, when you push your flesh far enough uh, that God lifts his spirit off of you. Uh, God doesn't fuss with him or fight with him. He just removes himself from him. But thank God that Saul had a son by the name of Jonathan. Saul had a son by the name of Jonathan. And Jonathan became friends with a man named David. And after Saul was king, there was a brief interim time. And then finally, David. Some of you maybe have heard of the story of David. David and Goliath. David the shepherd boy. David became king over all of Israel. And Jonathan was Saul's son, the former king's son. But now he's developed this friendship. Even while his dad is still king, he's developed this friendship with David. But, but Saul sees David as a threat because where Saul operates in his flesh, David operates in the spirit. 
Where Saul operates in pride, David operates in humility. Where Saul operates uh, by his whims and reactions and wishes, uh, David operates uh, with the intentionality of a shepherd boy leading uh, sheep on the backside of nowhere in the fear of God and his father. And so, in fact, Saul gets so mad at David uh, that he tries to kill David. One time, David is just worshiping. He's just in the service of the king and he's playing his harp. And David is sitting there playing the harp when Saul grabs a javelin or a spear and chucks it at David and literally tries to kill him because that's what the spirit of the flesh will always try to do. It'll always try to kill things of the spirit. The spirit of the flesh will always, the spirit of pride, the spirit of arrogance, the spirit of carnality, the spirit of worldliness, the spirit of ungodliness. It'll always try to crucify the works of the spirit. And that's exactly what Saul did. He tries to kill David. Why? Because he's tormented. He's buffeted by evil spirits. He's operating in a role now that he doesn't have the anointing for. Dangerous place to be. Hear me. It's dangerous to try to operate in ministry that you don't have anointing for. It's dangerous to try to hold a role that you don't have the anointing for. And Saul was king in title only, but he didn't have the blessing. I don't know about you, but I need the blessing of God on my life. We need the blessing of God on our, on our life. We need the blessing of God. And here, Samuel, one of the preachers or prophets, he is crying over Saul because Saul's spirit has has been, the spirit of God is removed from Saul. And Saul has begun to do wicked in the sight of God, trying to assassinate David, who he views as a threat to his pride and authority. And he's trying to assassinate David. And Samuel's over here crying. And God chastises Samuel. And he says, why are you crying about Saul? Don't weep over someone that I've removed my presence from. What you've got to understand is that Saul can get it right if he wants to. But while you're weeping over Saul, Samuel, there is a new, there is a David that I'm ready to anoint. There is a new day and a new anointing and a new harvest and a new revival and a new work that I want to do. Can I preach to somebody today and say you cannot just weep constantly over the mistakes and the failures and the fallings of your past, but recognize that it is a new day and his mercies are new every morning and God can do a new work in your family today. God can do a new work in your mind today. God can do a transformation in your heart today. It's a new day. So Saul is trying to kill David. But Saul's son, Jonathan, realizes David ain't that bad. And so he goes to make an oath with David. And the Bible says that he tests him. And and they make an oath together. Or everybody say covenant. We're just laying some groundwork for this powerful principle. When we, when we sat down and we prayed and we, we, we worked in the scriptures together, this was weeks ago. I don't remember when we had that meeting, uh, Brother Wall, Brother Rogers, but when we strategized and, and prayed and said, how do we want to end the, 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 the now what series? How, how should we end that series? I, I was, I was in the month of March, if I'm not mistaken, early in the month of March, uh, that, that we made the decision, this is the direction we would go. 
go and, and, and that this service, we would end this series uh, by talking about the story of Saul and David and Mephibosheth and the anointing uh, that, that, that God allows to transfer from one to another to another to another. God rejects Saul, but thank God it doesn't end with Saul because there's a David. Uh, there's a David. And here's an interesting point. Uh, while, while Saul is trying to kill David, he runs David off. He runs David into the Philistines. He runs David into the Philistines, which is a type of the world. We've got to be careful in the church that we don't get a Saul spirit on us, that we'd rather them be lost than get our place on the ministry team. We'd rather them be lost than get the solo that I wanted to sing. We'd rather them be lost than get the accolades I wanted to get. That's the spirit of Saul. Sometimes the spirit of Saul would rather them just be out in the world than succeed in the church. But God's gonna anoint David whether Saul gets his spirit right or not, whether Saul makes it right or not. Saul. Right under his nose, David and Jonathan make an oath because David is about to become king. And you know what happens, what Middle Eastern custom was? That when the new king would take over, he would execute the house of the entire previous, the entire house of the previous king. Unlucky to be of that last name in the previous house and the previous king. Because the new king would come in and he would view the family as a threat. And so he would kill, slaughter every descendant. But that's not what a David spirit does. A David spirit says, you may be Saul's, you may be the son of the man who tried to kill me, but I'll make an oath with you. And, I'll, and that's what they did. They, they said, here's my spear and here's my sword. I preached about it a few months ago, just a little bit. In other words, if you get stabbed in the back, it won't be from me because I don't have a sword against you. If you get a javelin shot at you, it won't be from me because I don't have a spear against you. And hear me, he makes a covenant with David. And here's what the covenant says. Jonathan says, David, when you become king, I want you to promise that you will not kill my kids. I want you to promise that you won't do away with my kids. And, and David promised him, he said, I will show kindness to your children when I become king. I'll, I'll be kind to your family when I become king. And so here it is, these children, that now that David is king, the children by custom are undeserving. By Middle Eastern custom at the time, they were undeserving. But can I tell you, the covenant is greater than custom. The covenant is more powerful than the cultural custom. And the covenant says that if I'll align myself with the power and the anointed of God, then God will allow his blessing to flow in my life. David becomes king. And when David becomes king, things begin to shift. Things begin to change. There's a whole bunch of here that I don't have time to preach. But when David becomes king, after he gets a hold of his bride, because the king, that's what the king is gonna do one day. It's a picture of the gospel. The king one day, the king of kings, is gonna come back and get his bride so that we can rule and reign with him. 
You know what David did as well? I said I don't have time to preach it, but I'm preaching it now anyway. He went after he got his bride and he went and got the Ark of the Covenant. You know why? Because if you're gonna be in the king's palace, you better value the presence of God, the power of God, the miraculous hand of God. He gets the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark are the tablets of stone and Aaron's rod that budded and the pot of manna signifying that we need the presence of God. We need the Word of God and we need the miraculous manifestation of God's presence. If we're gonna live in the king's house, we've got to have his presence. And then he finally says, as we walk through this story, he finally, David looks around and he remembers his oath. He remembers his covenant. And he says, who is here of the house of Saul? And I, I can just imagine some of his servants going, all right, get ready. He's about to cut somebody's head off. It's about to go down. It's like middle school kids when there's a fight in the hallway, man. David says, who's left of the household of Saul? Somebody pipes up and says, hey, there's one. David says, I'm not going to kill him. I want to show kindness. Woo. Can I tell you the difference between children of light and children of darkness? Is where children of darkness want to steal, kill, and destroy. Children of light say, I'll show you kindness if you let me. David had every reason just to crucify him, wash his hands of him, and be done with him. But he said, I'm going to show. You know what? Our world needs a little more kindness. Well... That, that may sound too happy clappy to some of you, but it's Bible. We need kindness. And if we had a little more kindness, uh, you know what? We wouldn't have the wrath that we have, and we wouldn't have the fighting that we have. If there was more kindness, there wouldn't be racism in our world, and there wouldn't be wars uh, in our world. If there was more kindness, uh, there would never be brother rising against brother or sister against sister. If there was more kindness, uh, there would never be a fight in the church again. If there was more kindness, uh, there would never be anybody again have a war of words with anybody else if there was more kindness God give us a baptism of Holy Ghost God give us a baptism of Holy Ghost kindness where we can be kind to one another tender hearted that's what the Bible says forgiving one another well my goodness, <laughs> Holy Ghost help us. You know what kindness requires? It requires the humility of David because if you're an arrogant jerk, you'll never be kind. Can I say that on Sunday morning? Can I say arrogant jerk? If you're, if, you're, if you're a pompous punk, you'll never be kind. If you live and die by the me monster, you'll never be kind. If you live your life self-serving your own needs, you'll never be kind. But when the Spirit of God comes in us, we ought to have a baptism of kindness and love for one another. Woo! 
where I can be kind to you. And it doesn't mean I like everything you do. It doesn't mean I like everything you say. But I can converse with you in kindness, not in hostility. Our world is bound up by a spirit of wrath and anger and hostile, hostile actions and hostility. Let the church be a place of kindness. Let this be a sanctuary, a place of kindness and tenderness one to another. I know they don't deserve it, but David said, I'm gonna be kind to them. And you know, that's what God did when he found you. You didn't deserve his kindness, but he gave it to you anyway. Hey, that's what God did when he found me. He gave me kindness even when I didn't deserve it. He was merciful to me and all I had to do to activate his mercy was just humble myself in repentance. And I'm preaching to somebody right now in this room. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Maybe you're an old time member. Maybe you're a first time guest. Maybe you're watching this on YouTube six months later. I'm telling you right now that the only thing that you have to do to activate the kindness, the mercy, and the gentleness of God is humble yourself and repent. And if you'll activate your humility and repentance, God will activate his kindness and his mercy toward you. So this guy named Zeba finds, steps up, and he finds Mephibosheth. He says, there is this one of the household of Saul. There is one left, and he's in this place called Lodabar. Lodabar is a place that's cut off because that's what sin will do. Sin will cut you off. Sin will separate you from the kingdom. Sin will separate you from the power and the presence of God, and Mephibosheth is is far away. And, And here's what, there's something that bothers me about this. Every time I read this story, every time I read this story, This just gets under my skin because the king is asking for a descendant of Saul. And this guy named Ziba says, yeah, there is one, Jonathan's son, which would be Saul's grandson, who's lame on his feet. Doesn't even give his name. Just says he's lame. (laughs) Aren't you glad that lame ain't your name? (laughs) Maybe you've met somebody before that lame should have been their name, but not a child of God. I, I'm glad that lame, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, my, joke, my kids say my jokes are pretty lame sometimes, but, but lame is not your name. Let me tell you, the kingdom of God is the place where you can be known by your covenant and not your condition. You hear what I'm saying? The kingdom of God is the place uh, where you can be known by the covenant of the king uh, and not by your condition. I just want to get, I, I just want to look at Zeba and say, really? Really? You call him by, by, by he, he's lame? You, you say the only way we know him is because he's lame? I'm glad that Jesus doesn't call us by our condition, but he calls us children of the kingdom. He calls us his kids. Hey, if there's breath in your body, there is power and mercy available for you, and there is no condition in your life that Jesus cannot transform, turn around, and fix. Zeba is like the world, calls him by his condition. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and I call them by 
name. Can I just slow down right here and tell somebody, no matter how little you think of yourself, God knows your name. No matter how low your self-esteem may be, God knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. God knows your name and he has a purpose for whatever is lame in your life. He has a covenant that can make it whole. See, Zeba's problem is Zeba didn't think that God wanted somebody like that in his kingdom. Zeba didn't think that David wanted somebody like Mephibosheth in his kingdom because Mephibosheth was lame in his legs. He was paralyzed. He could not walk. And Zeba looked at it and said, that would be a liability in the kingdom. But you hear me today. There is no liability in the kingdom of God other than someone who refuses to repent. But if you're willing to repent, There is no lameness in your life that Jesus cannot fix. If you're willing to come to him and repent, he will make you his own child. If you're willing to repent, he will adopt you as his own. Oh, somebody give God praise for that today. Somebody give God praise for that today. Zeba's problem is Zeba doesn't think that the kingdom is the place for drug addicts. And Zeba doesn't think that the kingdom is the place for people that are broken, abused, and confused. And Zeba doesn't think that kingdom is the place for people with marriage problems and problems with their children and problems with their parents and problems with their spouse. Zeba doesn't think the kingdom of God is the place for hurt and shame and brokenness. But can I tell you that The covenant of the king allows us access to the kingdom by the death and the burial and the resurrection by repentance of our sin. You're here today and you may be struggling. You may have problems in your life you can't solve. Maybe you got issues in your life you can't figure out. But I'm telling you, the covenant is mightier than your condition. The covenant is mightier than your condition. The covenant is greater than your problem. And Jesus Christ extends the covenant of mercy and grace and forgiveness for anyone who will accept it. Every one of us was spiritually lame. Every one of us was spiritually broken. Every one of us, there's not one of us, myself, and anyone else in here that deserves to be here. There's not one of us that has lived good enough, been pure enough, acted right enough. There's not one of us that deserves to be in his presence. But it is by the mercy of the king that went and found us when we were in our own Lodabar, our own far away cut off place. And he said, I wanna show you kindness. I wanna give you mercy. I'm thankful for the mercy of God. He calls us by name. David, I don't think you want those kind of people in your kingdom. No, I thank God today for every former drug addict that is in this building. I thank God today for every former person in this room who's been in jail and in prison. I thank God for every person in this room that you used to be a drug head and you used to be an alcoholic and you used to be an angry abuser. 
abusive man, but I thank God that by his mercy, he reached us and brought us into the kingdom. He reached us and said, I know your name. I'm not calling you a drug addict. I'm not calling you prison number 79, but I'm calling you by name. You belong to me. You're mine. You're mine. I bought you with my blood. He calls us by name. You gotta understand this, and I'm I'm hurrying to a close. He calls us by name, and there is this idea of the ministry of reconciliation. Oh, I got more to preach here than I have time left. There's this ministry of reconciliation where he sends Ziba and he says, go get Mephibosheth and bring him to me. I thank God for everyone that will bring someone. I thank God for every member of the kingdom that'll say maybe Mephibosheth can't get here on his own, but I'm gonna bring him here. And he goes and gets him. Hear me. Why was Mephibosheth lame? Because in 2 Samuel chapter 4, when his babysitter, his, 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 the handmaid of the house, was running in fear for her life. Remember I said Saul was angry and trying to kill David? So if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 4, you see this happen, this tragedy. Because the anger of Saul will always produce collateral damage. The anger of Saul will always cause injuries to those closest to him. And in Saul's anger, he's hunting David like you would hunt a deer or a turkey. He's hunting David. And the handmaid of the house is so scared because in Saul's rage, she doesn't know what he'll do even though Mephibosheth is his own grandson. And he, she scoops up Mephibosheth and she takes off running and she trips. She falls on his little five-year-old legs and crushes them. Read about it, chapter four. And he was lame from that day forward. And the Lord told me this week that there are some in this room that you are lame because someone else tripped. There are some in this room that you didn't choose to be this way. We make our decisions. You know I believe in personal responsibility and owning it and and manning up. And I, I, I preach enough of that, but there are some in this room that it was a father or a mother who tripped or it was an aunt or an uncle that wounded you it was the mistake of someone else that dropped you and left some lameness in your life and you've spent the rest of your existence lame but not of your own decision but I'm preaching to you and reaching for you today to tell you that there is a king that is calling your name 
And he doesn't care that you're lame and it doesn't matter to him that you're lame because of an abusive father or an abusive mother or someone who took advantage of you. It doesn't matter to him that you're lame because alcoholism was the only thing you ever knew in your family or anger was the only thing you ever saw from your grandfather. It doesn't matter to him that it was when you were intoxicated as a teenager that you made some dumb decisions that you're still paying for today. It doesn't matter to him why you are lame. What matters to him is will you respond to the call to the kingdom? And if you will respond, if you will respond to the call of the kingdom, God wants to do a miracle of covenant in your life. That's what he did. That's what he did. That's why the Bible says in Corinthians, uh, he has reconciled us uh, to Jesus Christ. Uh, He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, hear me, there are some Mephibosheths uh, that they don't even know how to pray on their own uh, and they don't even know how to sort it out on their own. Oh God, but if there could be someone that would come along and talk to them, if there would be someone that would put their hand over their shoulder and say, I know you don't know how to fix this on your own. I know you don't know how to solve this on your own. I know you don't know how to get through this on your own. If there would be some that would have the ministry, come here, Brother Wall. If there would be some that would have the ministry to say, you know what, brother? I know you don't know how to get through this on your own, but I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna coach you through it. I'm gonna talk you through it, and I'm gonna lead you to the king's palace. Uh, That's what the ministry of reconciliation is. Uh, And the scripture tells us uh, that now are we his sons uh, because we have not received the spirit of bondage, uh, but we have received the spirit of adoption uh, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, Mephibosheth, you don't deserve to be at the table, but God's gonna ha- let you have a seat at the table. You don't deserve to be in the kingdom, but God's gonna give you a seat at the table. You don't deserve to be in David's house, but God has a place for you in his kingdom. And everybody in this room can be adopted as a son or a daughter. Everybody in this room has a place in the family. Everybody in this room. Come on, that's it. If the Lord's talking to you, I invite you to step out of where you're at. Join these that are here. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, you can repent of your sins and you can be filled today. If you're looking for a sense of belonging and family, you can find it here today. If you've got lameness that you're carrying in your life that somebody else gave you, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can heal you today. Jesus Christ can heal you because the covenant is greater than your condition. We can be adopted as king's sons, restored to communion with the king. Come on, lift up your voice. He wants to restore you to fellowship. He wants to restore you to fellowship. He wants to restore you to the kingdom. He wants to restore you to your place at the table. God doesn't want you to be cut off forever. God doesn't want you to be cut off indefinitely, but he wants you to be restored to the kingdom. You are called to the kingdom for such a time as this.